Welcome to Podcast of the Rings. I'm Jessica Lynn Verdi. I'm with my friends, Alexander Mitchell and Ben Goddard. Ben Godot, Godot. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's Goddard. I know. <laughs> I know. I don't care, though. That's that's okay. That's, as long yeah. as you're as long as it's followed up by have you uh, have you rediscovered? Uh, have you reexamined your cable insurance bill recently, uh, Mr. Goddard? <laughs> Mr. Goddard, what is that? I should tell them telemarketers. That's how they pronounce. Is that they how never they get say Goddard. It? They never get Goddard correctly for some some reason. You know, I was saying it incorrectly on purpose, yeah. right? Okay, good. Maybe it's because they're all just really big French New Wave cinema fans, and they're like, "Oh, this guy's a Goddard fan." <laughs> they're trying to be so pretentious, right? My uh, my grandmother and my aunt are. Uh, my grandmother was a Beatrice. My aunt is a Beatrice, and I think one of the most egregious ones she got was. Hello, is beet rice there? Oh, God. <laughs> nice. That's Beat- new rap name Beatrice. right there. Beatrice is good, too. Uh, guys, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's been a little bit. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, glad to be back. Happy New yeah. Year. Uh, Alex, did... Um, Alex or Ben, did 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 New Year's exist in, in the Lord of the Rings, the Middle Earth? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Depending on the calendar, I mean, there there were multiple calendar systems. So you have the Shire Reckoning, which had their own system, and then you had Reckoning. Like, Reckoning was the name. That's what it's called. SR is the abbreviation Shire Reckoning. How they reckon the dates and years. Oh. So they would have their own calendar system. Uh, the Gondorians had their own calendar system. The Numenorians, I believe, had a separate one. Uh, so Tolkien was was busy at work. Uh, making all kinds of different holidays and celebrations and ways of keeping track of time in Middle Earth. So during, speaking of time in Middle Earth, like Durin's Day and the autumn and midsummer, all that stuff falls pretty heavily important in The Hobbit specifically. Mm-hmm. Whose calendar are we operating against? Like, is there a standard calendar that is guiding us through this? That's a good question. I don't know if in the sort of... Uh, fictional world of Tolkien, there was a calendar system that would later go on to become, you know, the one we use now. I guess it doesn't really make sense because that's sort of the um, Gregorian calendar, which has its own origins. But um, yeah, I think the because we look into the world through the lens of the hobbits, uh, being as it is, you know, Frodo and Sam and Bilbo, who and later, you know, uh, Thangel, historic uh, kings, whatever. Uh, who wrote and edited the Red Book, we're looking at it mostly through the um, Hobbit Shire Reckoning dates right. and then the Gondorian calendar dates. But yeah, the, the dwarf calendar plays a huge part in, in this story. The time, it being that things are time sensitive. Yeah. So and if when... anyone was wondering, that's what it says on Alex's Hinge profile. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All I could hear was Ben going... <sighs> 
That's a like a you know what is it uh, on Hinge? It's like a you know you have the the prompts that you can reply to, and it's like you know everyone would be like, "What's your what's your New Year's resolution?" And then Alex will respond, "Well, you see, Thangle in the the, the third age is like technically it's not the New Year. You know, Durin's Day was like three months before this. <laughs> Why am I not getting any matches? This is crazy. I thought I was really clever. <laughs> Honestly, how that's no how. This? How that's can no one it... pick up and run with this conversation starter? <laughs> <laughs> um, Elon Musk fell in love with Grimes because she made an obscure joke three years prior to him wanting to make the joke on Twitter. Wow. I, I, Do silence. we know the joke? Yeah, it, it's nothing that makes sense to either of us, but okay. I, I, I'll try to find it if I can. Elon Musk uh, joke no, Knowing his Grimes. sense of humor, it's not a very good one. It's a super no no it's a super nerdy joke. She had that Wario in court three years before he thought about it. <laughs> it's exactly it's pretty much that. Okay, uh, let's see. Musk wanted to combine the two. Oh, so Rococo, you know, is the style of the French Baroque period. Uh, I only know Rococo because it's a song uh, by. Arcade Beach Boys, fire. Right? Also that, too. Um, oh, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, according to page six, nerdy niche jokes are the reason the two are a couple. Apparently, Musk wanted to tweet a joke about AI, but Grimes had already made it. Rocco Basilisk is a thought experiment that questions the risk of AI, hypothesizing a reality where robot overlords take over and punish humans who didn't help bring it into existence. Rococo is a style from the end of the French Baroque period, characterized by ornate decorations, dense ornaments, and theatrical asymmetry. Musk wanted to combine the two into Rococo Basilisk, which pays six muses might be a play on how ridiculous and complex both concepts are. Okay. It's a joke about how two people in the entire world would probably get it. That's what This is how they put it. So anyway, she made the joke. Uh, and, he, and hold on. Yeah, most people don't know this, but anyway. Anyway, she, Grimes made the joke and Elon Musk said, I want to make a joke about this. Someone said, oh, Grimes already did this three years ago. And then he was basically, he basically slid into her DMs. He, he was like, I've been waiting for this. This is my soulmate. Right? God. <laughs> talk about a meet cute. It's really, right? it's so cute that it was fascinating for me to talk about it. Anyway, because um, we, li we like them both And so clearly much. it was meant to be. I mean, yeah. unt <laughs> until, it, until it wasn't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, guys, I... Uh, I I think you know that I've been trying to find the good in this movie. Yeah. Having that, finished that, the Desolation of Smaug now recently, I don't know that I can find much to to redeem it. But that's not I'm jumping I'm jumping ahead. As we're wont to do on this show. Yes. We love jumping ahead. So for those of you that are uh, watching along with us today, we are going to be talking from the beginning of Desolation of Smaug to where they to when they enter Lake Town. So don't get don't get ahead of us. Yeah, just the first half of the film. Alex uh, had but there's there's a lot to a lot to talk about here. Um what's your So Ben, you said that this movie the price of admission is worth it with Smaug. Yes. So we're not going to talk about him today, but I couldn't agree with you more. Yes. Like, it is so good. 
Uh, oh, and also the Ed Sheeran song, Slaps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we're, we're getting ahead. It's next week. But, man, like I will say, and I'll say it again uh, you know, next week, that as much as I disagree with like how they handled the, the cliffhanger in this movie, uh-huh. where I think all of the Smaug stuff should have either ended in this movie or yes. it just should have been two movies, and we yeah. should have gotten the Battle of the Five Armies in this movie as well, um, that cliffhanger works. It, it works. Yeah. How they handle the third movie does not work. But this cliffhanger, and I li- it was so weird. I just saw a TikTok saying like, oh, I th- it must have been an, at an award show because like they were all like in the, the tuxes with the, the cummerbunds and, you know, bow ties and something. So it must- yeah. Uh, yeah, the cummerbatches. And like Miles Teller said, one of his favorite lines is from Whiplash was like, come play with us. And he responds with... Um, Four words the NFL that will never say to you. Uh, Channing Tatum says from 21 Jump Street, F science, like, you know, uh, when after he does, like, the problem on the board. Uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch says one of my favorite lines uh, was, I am fire, I am death. And then, you know, the what have we done, boom. Oh, Miss Behind. And it just, it worked. <laughs> like, I just got chills and w- watching that again. But, um, but, yeah, focusing on part one, the main thing that I thought about this movie is that we had over the holiday, you know, Lord of the Rings are Christmas movies for me. Every Christmas Eve, we'd go to a new movie. And for those three years, they were Lord of the Rings. Um, and so I still try and watch them every Christmas. And if I can get my family to watch them, I will. And, you know, my they're always passed out at nine o'clock and I'll finish them on my own. But we watched them, all of them, and they're just they're so good. They're so well made. And I only watch the extended editions and they work so well. There's so much in the extended editions that I'm like, oh, I love this, but I'm a nerd, so I get why they cut it out. And then there's other things like right. Faramir's backstory, uh, where I'm like, how do they cut this out? This is every single yeah. motivation from Denethor, Boromir, and Faramir in one scene. How do you cut this out? It works so and, well. And we get to see Boromir again. Who yes, is, and it's Sean amazing. Bean is, oh God, yeah. Sean so Bean is just a big hug. I haven't yes. watched. Oh, wow. That's the thing is that it, there are, like, those scenes, I love them, but I know I'm like, oh, this wasn't in there. But other scenes, like, I've just, I haven't watched the theatrical cut in so long that sometimes I'm just like, oh, yeah, this isn't in there, is there? Right. But going back to these movies, these are the extended versions, and they feel like it. Like, yeah. we're going to be talking about Mirkwood. And there's just so much that, like, it's just like, oh, we just filmed more, so let's put it in there. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we did an extended edition for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We should do one for this. When, like, it doesn't add anything to these movies. It doesn't give you more. It doesn't fill in any, like, you know, Sauron doesn't just disappear like he does in Lord of the Rings. Like, you get that finality in Return of the King. Right. Or it's just more of them wandering around the forest, and it doesn't add anything to the movies right i think it is the difference between we are filming the books we are filming everything that is there to the best of the medium allows itself to right like okay it does make sense that these two battles are truncated or like you know like we don't need to see two different times where the hobbits run off from the orcs we we just need to see it once mm-hmm. or whatever but with this, it's like really like stretching dough way too thin, and yeah. and dough that wasn't there. And I can understand. And I, this is the biggest. This is the biggest note that we all, all three of us have. It should have just been two movies. 
And the reason why you can kind of get away with some of the things he added, besides the Tariel stuff, because that makes me want to, like, punch my brain, um, the a lot of what Tolkien does in the chapters are, and you can imagine fun things happen, but we're not going to get into that right now. He, like, hop, skips, and jumps over a lot of things in the chapters, too. So filling that stuff out, I don't have a problem with it. Um, Alex and I just got to the part of Helm's Deep in the book, and I was like, why does this? Why is this going so much quicker? Because they spend more time in the movie getting ready for the battle at Helm's Deep than the book gets ready for it. And, and, and I yeah. think that makes sense. That that is one of the things that I think Jackson does well in his adaptations in Lord of the Rings, and to a lesser degree, I think in the Hobbit films is really um, embellishing some of these action sequences because that is where film, I think, has an advantage over uh, books in some you know, aspect. It's a visual medium inherently, so you want to see cool action stuff. Maybe there's an action scene we'll get to in this first half of the second movie that I don't think works, but we'll oh, talk about man. that. Give me the... <laughs> <laughs> Give me the River Rapids ride. I want that ride at Lord of the Rings uh, theme park. Like to have that, that have would... Grizzly River Rapids. Like, yeah, don't act like good. you wouldn't go down in it. Like they put you in like a little barrel and spin you around and have like you know animatronic orcs on the side shooting fake arrows at you. Give me that. <laughs> I will wait in line for two hours for that any day of the week. If it, yeah, if, it. if Lord of the Rings World happens, uh, yeah, sign me up. I will go on that ride. Lord of the Rings World does need to happen. Isn't that like kind of what those people just bought this for? Like they have rights to making a theme park? I don't think it includes theme parks. But, I think it does. Uh, if the trend continues, we may get it within the next few decades. Who knows? Listen, well, I'll be too old to ride roller coasters. Do you think coasters. it'd be successful? Because I know, I know oh, that, yeah. like, you know, everyone goes to New Zealand for because, like, because I didn't realize that they destroyed Hobbiton after Lord of the Rings, like they got rid of it, but then they rebuilt it for this, right. and they're like, okay, we're gonna keep it for tourism. And Is I know that what that was. I didn't. Yeah, realize. they like they rebuilt it for these movies, and they're like, okay, we're keeping it as tourist destination. This is money, 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 which is very smart. So smart. And I want to go there. It's my number one destination. Um, do you think a Middle Earth theme park would be successful? Look at, so um, Jess and I just went to the Wizarding World recently, mm -hmm. and I would say that Lord of the Rings is far more popular than Harry Potter. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I think know. it is. I think it is. Uh, maybe it's skewing more towards an older demo just because of mm -hmm. the age of the series, but I think it's more universally um, I don't appealing. know. I think that's hard to say. I think you would have more older people who are into Lord of the Rings just because of the age of the Harry Potter the franchise. Older so things, older older things, older humans aren't the ones going to theme parks. But they have kids and they have grandkids, and so that's a family thing. You know, you get the whole family together. You go. I think it would be massively uh, successful. One of the reasons that. Tolkien's world is so engaging and interesting is because of how immersive the settings are and how great of a job he does at describing the settings. You know, that's why the the film Peter Jackson's film versions of Lord of the Rings are so engaging is because of they have New Zealand as their setting and it's just so diverse and you have all these amazing landscapes and stuff. So if you could capture some of those in a theme park, like oh my Who's, god, what I would studio do it in a owns Lord of the Rings, or what? What was it released under? Uh, New Line, 
Cinema and then Warner Brothers. I think that's yeah. Under I think Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers is the studio that owns it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So it's not like like uh, so much cat going on. Uh, so it's not like uh, Jurassic Park where it's like, hey, we own, like we have Steven Spielberg's head in a in a jar, so we can do whatever we want with it. Anyway, I think it it, it could be successful. We can live in that world that where it 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 exists. But that's that's not. I the river the river barrel ride <laughs> aside. Uh, where does the movie open up, Alex? Uh, we open up with a flashback, oh, one no. of many in this movie. Uh, we have uh, title, and then we get to open upon Brie, a familiar sight from the first movie, and we have a flashback with Thorin just uh, chilling in the prancing Relaxing pony. Relaxing all cool. Yeah, well, and he's getting some heat. Uh, there's some... Uh, Salty characters uh, looking right. at him um, because they're you know we've established that there's this bounty on his head um, from the orcs. So uh, and Gandalf comes in to sort of save him. He sits down with Thorin and then the guys kind of back off. And we get a flashback of the moment where uh, he proposes the the quest for Erebor to Thorin. Sorry, my cat just stepped on my laptop and deleted all of my notes from this movie. So <laughs> I am trying to Google how to undelete things. But uh, I, all I know is I remember I did read my first line is that Gandalf is very rude to the waitress. And as a service industry worker, I don't like anybody just reaching out and being like, I'll have the same as she's walking by helping other people. No, no, no. She'll come to the <laughs> table, Gandalf, and you'll wait your turn. OK, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. I, it is actually pretty rude. Is it because he's trying to normalize the situation because he's about to get killed? Like he's like trying to bring someone. Is it like okay? Is it like when someone's in danger, like a like a girl will turn to a friend and be like, "Oh my god, hi, how are you?" If they're being followed, right. and and they're like, "Oh my god, I know you so well," or like you're gonna go up to the door of the neighbor that you don't know. It's it's the professional Ben. We're. Natalie Portman walks by her dead baby brother's oh, house. Oh yeah, and yeah, knocks on Leon's door. Leon's and... door. It's that's what it is. Is I mean, I don't know if that's true, but and I will say that that is within I think uh, Gandalf's character to be kind of brusque and rude. Uh, at least book Gandalf. I think Gandalf in the movies is a little nicer, a little more kindly old grandpa than sort of uh, uh, curt and and short. Um, but I would imagine that Gandalf is a big tipper. So I think he made up for that. No um, way. Oh, yeah. No, Gandalf doesn't have money. Yeah, Gandalf uh, seems like the guy that's like, oh, everything will just work out. Like, yeah, 100%. Goes around whimsy and it's like, don't. Gandalf seems like the guy that's like, don't you know who I am? Like, he said, I feel like he drops that line quite a bit. Yeah, because he scares the crap out of yeah. Sam. By the way, like, and everyone's like, yeah. "Okay, if I don't do this, he's gonna turn me into a toad." Like, I, I think he gets by on social currency more than anything. Right, and and fear. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and the guy who owns the prancing pony is the one who like was helped out Frodo too, right? Or is well, it... this would be his father. Ah, because this is you know. 50, 60, 70, I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 70 years before the the Lord of the Rings. So um, 
I think it's, yeah, Butterbur's dad. And we do get a shot of him because, again, we need as many connections to Lord of the Rings as possible. Yeah. Even, and there's a like, lot that's more. That's the thing is that even in this, in Fellowship, Peter Jackson's carrot-eating, burping cameo, like, you kind of blink and you miss it. It's raining outside. And this one, he just goes, like, looks it right at the camera and goes, and yep. like, like, like he's a pirate. It's like, okay, Peter, like I, you working very hard, but just again, I don't, ah, man. It's, yeah. Not yeah. the only obvious cameo in this movie as well, but we'll get to that next week. Yeah. Here's the thing. No one cares how well this movie did because it made almost a billion dollars in the box. office. I just, I, as I was looking up the synopsis, like, uh, by the way, I recovered my notes. I'm um, so glad because someone I, needs to have someone. Yeah. Needs, we're 20 <laughs> minutes into this podcast and I have no thread we're just going. Just flying right blind. Now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it made so much money. <laughs> so so yeah. much money. You know, Peter Jackson's going to bed last night, tomorrow, like tonight, going. I did really well. I'm. This is. I a mean, good they movie. marketed it so well with like just they never showed Smaug in any of the marketing material. Everyone knew he was voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch, who had just. Uh, what year did this movie come out? Um, 20, 10 years ago, right? Did yeah. 14? Release date 13? is Los Angeles premiere is the 2nd of December 2013. There you go. Okay, yeah, so 2013. So th this was... Uh, when was Star Trek Into Darkness? Because it was this year as well, right? Yeah, 2013. Oh, really? So that was... Yeah, that Thank was the Benedict. summer... Summer of oh, yeah, 2013. Totally. The summer and of Count Benedict, really. Exactly. Like, I mean, say what you want about that movie. Everyone was at least like, oh, he's good. And he's yes. got the voice. Like, yeah. that was the thing is that, like, yeah, people don't like Into Darkness that much. And I understand that. But I like it was the same. Like, I compare these movies very similarly where it's like you have to wade through a little bit. But getting to Benedict is very much worth it when he finally shows up in both those movies where it's like. He's worth the ticket again in both of yeah. these movies. So I, I compare them a lot. So this was like, this year was kind of like his coming out year. You know, Sherlock was starting to finally get big over here. God, that's so true. So it was starting, everything was starting to roll together. And I'm, you know, right after this, like a few years later, he gets Doctor Strange, starts getting nominated for Academy Awards for the Imitation Game. So this is he all when it loses starts. His, he loses her, his virginity right after this movie comes out, too. <laughs> big day big day good for him you know i know really good for him i the only thing about uh into darkness which i i like all those you know a lot of people had problems with them for different reasons but it is a little problematic that that character was whitewashed when it was yeah. a traditionally wonderful uh role played by ricardo maltabon uh Montalban, Montalban. Um, it, it, that, that was the unfortunate thing it's like hey do we really need to keep on like mining the well of like things we've already seen and be this mm -hmm. character should be a person of color, but we digress. So I, I'm just going to say it now. Thorin played by Richard Armitage sucks. I hate this character. I hate how he plays it. And I, there's nothing redeeming about this character whatsoever. It takes uh, a while for him to get redeemed. And... There's nothing to redeem. He's not even good acting. I think he's great in terms I, of yeah, acting ability. I, I will push back on that. You cannot like a character, but and I think that's what makes his performance good. Is like you wouldn't care about him if he was a bad actor. You would just be like, oh, this guy's an a hole. Like that's fair. But like he's doing a he's doing a good job, and that's what makes like you not like him. 
He's doing the best job he can do. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Very, you know what it is? It just feels, it feels like Anne Hathaway is playing the role. <laughs> He's trying way too hard. <laughs> it just, and I like Anne Hathaway. I'm just gonna just dig my hole over yeah. here, you guys. Let me just live in this. Thorin dreamed a dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see him crying with snot on his mouth. Um. All right. So we we see. We see them, they, they set off the idea to like go back to the mountain, and then we're getting chased. Is that right? Yes. yes. And that's my next note, is that the eagles didn't take them very far. Like, it seemed like they took them really far away, but then the orcs got stranded on the side of a mountain, like on a cliffside, but suddenly they are like hot on their tail again. Like so they That's they don't get point. into this in the movie, but in the book they and and I think there's that, a reason. Why wouldn't they get into it in the movie because right? the movie's extended. We have nothing but time. <laughs> there's plenty of time, but they don't get into it where the eagles and the men of this land of like Carrick is kind of the area they're in. Like they are not necessarily on the best of terms. And so uh, the men there, they would be like shot at, essentially. No, I know that. I know yeah. that much. Is that like any time, you know, someone's like, well, why didn't the Eagles take the ring? They have reasons. Stop yeah. it. Don't be that guy. <laughs> um, but just seemingly where the, it seemed like the Eagles at least took them like, I don't know, 20 miles away. Like, you know, I'm in L.A. right now. The Eagles at least took them to, to Orange County and the orcs are right on their tails again. And it was just like, wait, how did just like just. Physics wise, like it's like they always say, oh, as the eagle flies, as the bird flies, as the Nazgul flies. Well, they're on wolves, so they should be farther behind. <laughs> if if I was going to give the most uh, benefit of the doubt to the movie, I would say that based on things we see later in the second half with Dogledur, the spirit of Sauron is growing in strength and they are close to his stronghold. So maybe there's some sort of energy that they've been given to push on through the night and ride harder and faster but that's the most charitable explanation yeah. i can give it does not make the most sense um and it, again it's this need of these movies to make so many things like the most urgent thing ever we saw this back in rivendell in the first movie where they had to flee into rivendell mm -hmm. we're seeing this now where they have to flee to where they're going which we later find out they're going to Bjorns. Right. But um, there's a, it's so frantic. Yeah. We, we see it uh, at the very end with the whole Smaug sequence. So there's so many things that there's just this invented urgency that Peter Jackson injects, which I don't know if it necessarily works right here. I think they could have just started this movie with, all right, where are we going to go next? We need to seek shelter. Like, we don't need to start right away with, all right, and there's another chase. Like, we just ended the last movie with this big... Um, you know, chase sequence. So I think that's that, a yeah. really great point because if it, it, it's not following, like it's, it's feeling like we're dropped into the middle of a movie, not into the beginning of a second movie and letting like some things build just that prologue and the flashback of being at the prancing pony. Isn't like enough of a calm moment enough, like give us another opportunity to like, remember who the characters are remember who we're dealing with and what the situation yeah. is what a better 
what better way to reintroduce us to act like these characters we haven't seen in a year if you're watching it sequentially from it being released in theaters than two by two meeting Bjorn? Yeah, as a, as opposed to being introduced to this movie with a flashback with a piece of information that will only become relevant over halfway through the movie, and it's just a little reminder for one moment. Like, that's the only reason we really have that flashback with Thorin is to remember, oh, yeah, Gandalf gave him these things, and he got them from somewhere, and that it's just so irrelevant to the rest of the movie. Like, why did we start with that? Yeah, it's it's... Honestly, if you would have skipped that and gone straight into the chase, that would have been better. In the same yeah. way that Two Towers starts with Gandalf free diving onto a Balrog and you're like, oh, my God, what it like? Because yeah. you kind of think when you're watching that and you hear like the, the noise is like, oh, are they giving us like a, a recap? And then you realize, especially just the camera angle, fly, you fools. And then it just like. Fate, the camera just face dives yeah. off the, the bridge and just starts following. And you're like, what is going on? Like, this yeah. is the most intense thing ever. And and so if they would have just done that where you start with the chase and you're like, oh, yeah, this is where we are. OK, got it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it just seems like, yeah, I don't get the, the prologue of this movie at all. Like, it didn't do anything like i'm okay with why they want to take back the mountain and why they have to do it now i don't need a reason for gandalf meeting him at the prancing pony like i don't need the prancing yeah. like that's the least callbacky thing that i need <laughs> is i love the prancing pony i want to go get a beer there yes. but i don't need it in another movie yeah because in in two towers that's a flashback that's super relevant for when gandalf comes back yes. it's like a huge moment in that movie and I'm sorry to say Thrain revealed to be at Dol Guldur, not a huge moment. No. <laughs> In my opinion, it no, doesn't really matter. Not really. The Wilhelm scream that they give him, though, is amazing. Oh, my, we'll get Talk there. Talk about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of many in this movie. Or yes. I, I think there's two or three. There's only two. Well, that's just it. Is like, as a joke, he's done it in every single movie. So yeah. but that's just what it is. Um, so we go to Bjorn. They uh, they totally again in a movie that has nothing but time they totally rush the two by two and just throw all the six dwarves that don't matter out at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say at first I was like I don't know that I really like this interpretation of Bjorn, but I actually think it's he's really great. This actor's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. I like him uh, quite a bit. And that is the one thing we'll get to Battle of the Five Armies where there's just like a lot of unnet, like extended violence in that movie. That's all the extended <laughs> yeah. version is for Battle of the Five Armies, just extended violence. And you get some extended Bayorn scenes and they rule. They yeah. freaking rule. Because in Do the books, really? because in the books, like Thorin doesn't kill Azog or Bolg, it's Bayorn. Th Thorin, I'm pretty sure, dies by like his honor guard, and then Bayorn comes in, breaks his br like breaks him in half, and like carries Thorin's body out, like to be properly buried. Like I'm, I think that's what happens in the books. I haven't read The Hobbit in a minute. Well, Thorin but... dies on his deathbed, forgiving Bilbo. So, yeah. Yeah. So like you might have carried him after being wounded. Is that yeah? Possible? Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, uh, I, that sounds gross. Also, I have the the note that all the dwarves are idiots and don't know how locks work because like they're all like banging on the door to get in, and then <laughs> finally like Thorn runs up and like hits the latch up. And it's like, really, guys, come on. 
What Look, there was such an urgent doors. chase, they just couldn't think. No, because yeah. you have... They're used to doors that have magical keys and are hidden. They don't know how to open actual doors. That's why there had to be a marking on Bilbo's door to say, this is the burglar. You guys, I'm stretching this. Help me, please. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if it was a door made of stone, they would have got they it two totally seconds. They would have totally got it. Yeah, but it was wood, so... Well, and, and, and Alex said something while we were watching this, too, that he's just disappointed that we didn't get the dogs walking on hind legs serving oh, yeah. everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be like, amazing. Th- there were so many ridiculous. There were so many fantastical things they could have done uh, with Bjorn, that, with all the animals and stuff, that it was a little disappointing not to see that. But uh, I understand tonally they want to make it fit with Lord of the Rings and so, you know, Tolkien did that as well. Like, he, there were so many things he didn't bring into Lord of the Rings, including giants. Um, and, you know, so many, you know, to, uh, wa- dogs walking on their hind legs. So, <laughs> it, 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 and talking birds. Uh, it makes sense. But a uh, little disappointed. It would have been great to see, see CGI dogs on screen. And when did we? Uh, oh, again? no, we would have gotten real dogs. That would have been, been practical. <laughs> practical, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, there's some CGI moments in this, too, that are just painful, but um, I don't know if we'll get to it in this part. So uh, they, they they go to Bayorin. Um, what, what he, he actually, like, is, is genuinely interested in what they did. Like, you know, kind of, like, hates dwarves but hates orcs more. And then what's this going on? This is another weird moment where... Like, Bulg rides up and says, you have to go back to Dol Guldur, to Azog. And then we get a weird, like, Benedict Cumberbatch with, like, the shadow moving around. And that's how, like, that's what the Necromancer is. Because they're like, oh, again, I compare this a lot to Star Trek Into Darkness. Where, like, we know the Necromancer is Sauron. We know that. right. Everybody knows that. Everybody knew that Benedict Cumberbatch was Khan, and they're like, no, he's John Harrison. No one, J.J. Abrams, it's okay. It's okay. Um, and so they play it off as this mystery, and then he, and he's like, okay, you need to go raise our armies and, like, lead our armies so you can't, you know, hunt Thorn. You can't go on this, uh, you know, this personal quest. And he goes, Bolg, and, like, Bolg walks in, he's like, this isn't an introduction. We just saw him. Like, right? He was in the last movie. Like in the same way that Azog gets introduced in the in the first movie, and then like when he gets revealed to Thor, and it's like supposed He's to be alive. some big reveal. Yeah. It's like we just saw him literally five minutes ago, right up on a wolf, and be like, "Hey, come on back to the base." Like, I'm Azog. I, I think <laughs> it's because these characters are just so. But besides, I think Azog is a little bit more because he's got the cool arm. They're just so not memorable. So I feel yeah, like they sure. were like so many people are not going to remember who this uh, son of Azog Bolg is. So we got to like m- give a moment to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. And that just speaks to why is this character here? <laughs> like, I just don't get why these aren't actors, like why they're yes. CGI, because yes. rewatching, you know, Fellowship in 10 minutes and I'm being very generous with 10 minutes of screen time. Lurts, the leader of the Urukai, is so memorable. Right. When he gets stabbed in the leg and licks the knife and throws it at Aragorn, and Vigo really blocked that knife. I know everybody knows yeah. that fact, but he yeah. really blocked that knife throw, which is insane. Vigo's a crazy person. Yeah. Um, I don't he, actually know that. Oh, yeah. That was not supposed to happen. He was supposed to like throw it off screen. It was supposed to CGI, and he accidentally threw it at Vigo, and he really blocked it with that sword. That's a real 
knife throw blocked by Viggo Mortensen. Are you kidding me? True story. It's, it's insane that like nothing that bad happened on the set because like they were really up in those mountains. Sean Bean hates helicopters, so he climbed Caradras every day instead of taking the helicopter. He'd be like, yeah, I'll just get up at 6 a.m. and I'll climb the mountain myself and I'll meet you guys up there. So he's climbing as Boromir in full costume up there. P- point of order, it is Karathras because the DH is a TH sound, but it, it's okay. I will come through this stream guard screen. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's wow. insane that no one, but just like just those moments and then Gothmog in the third one with all his like deformed yeah. face, like you you remember the you might not know their names and that's totally okay, but you remember these orcs because the makeup and their mannerisms and like somewhat like no, uh, you know, what about a mouthful when, you know, they're trying to eat Mary and Pippin? Like, that's yeah. looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Like, you remember these moments. Put these guys in makeup. I want it, like, the guy who plays the mountain in Game of Thrones, put him in some white, pale, scarred-up makeup with a hook hand. He's terrifying. He's absolutely yeah. terrifying. Like, that would be crazy. It And it was really nice uh, in the second back half of this to actually see practical orcs again because we mm-hmm. do get that in some of the fight sequences uh later in this movie and it was but it was just enough of a tease because they're not like characters really uh there's just in the in the house that we get well, a couple and it was like oh we could have had that for like the whole thing oh. yeah we'll get to it you know like the the orc there interrogating like that legolas and thranduil are uh t- interrogating and that yes. guy is like this is my 15 minutes of fame. He's like, you sold him with a mogul shaft. He's like quivering yeah. and like slobbering. Like this guy is going for it. He's the one guy in orc makeup and he is going to give all the performance right now. And I fully respect him for it. So yeah. yeah. Another frustrating thing is that like stop CGIing these orcs you have. And I know it's probably for time and student interference where they just have to crank these movies out. But I'd kill for a practical Azog and Bulg because I think they'd be like because like again, Azog's got his hook just drilled into his arm, and and Bulg's got like his armor like cut into him. Like these aren't like armor plates; they're like cut into his skin. It's so, like, like his skin is layered onto yeah. it. Like it's almost like those were that's was his suture or like mm. like he like like they replaced pieces of his skin with the armor. It's sick looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. You said the Morgul blade. What was that? The uh, the Morgul. Sh- he shot him with a Morgul shot. So that's what I was saying, Alex. That one hundred percent, Keeley was going to die. Yeah. So we we were we were arguing. I didn't remember. Yeah, we were arguing about whether the the poison or the arrow was the same kind of thing that Frodo got stabbed with, and I disagree. I don't think it is. I think it's just a, a poison arrow. Yeah. It's not like a turning him into a. But a, it's a Morgul thing, isn't it? A Morgul blade, and it's a Morgul shaft. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I got everyone saying shaft. <laughs> shaft. You really, um, you really got me messed up over here. If, so I'm if saying it like is, he's, that's that's why they need that king's thing, the 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 weed. The king's foil later. Yeah. yeah, I I hope that that's not it. Because it is that. They wouldn't have said But Morgul. the difference is, is that I don't know because Arwen even says he's beyond my skill. Like the King's Foil will help slow the poison in Fellowship, but it won't heal him. In this, right? In this, and we're gonna talk. Well, there's so much we need to talk about next week. <laughs> you know, I, I always love and I, you know rewatching the extended version where like 
because Aragorn's very known for his healing abilities as a ranger, and right. like in the extended Return of the King, he heals um, Eowyn's arm because she got hit with the the mace, Witch the King. Morning Star. Uh, from the Witch King, and in the movie, he like takes like a wet rag and like squeezes it out and like rubs it on her forehead, and that's it. And I'm just like, oh, I guess that that worked, okay. And then in this, <laughs> the touch uh, you of know, a lover. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what's her name? Tariel, like, Tariel, uh, like crushes up the yeah. King's Fall, and then just like press. I'm like, man, like, can I? This is great. Where, can we put these in the hospitals? <laughs> but yeah, and then, I do. And then, like the I dwarf is like. We got to see this. It's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think that they're the same. I think it's like a to a lesser extent than maybe it's just uh, an actual Nazgul wielding these blades. It's like a different thing than just an orc. But I could be wrong. But that, that's that's how I do it. It's like I, the king's foil healed uh, uh, Keely. Keely, and the, it just like slowed the poison for Frodo. That's pro that sounds about right. Um, I think that they were trying to create the same sense of urgency. Yes, though. absolutely. Um, but but yeah, Alex was just like, it's just poison. No, they legit said Morgul. It's well, fine. The the pro I I don't want to get too much into it. The problem I, I had know. with it was when the moment when he sees Toriel like all bright, like you know Frodo sees Arwen in the movie, and it's like that mm. wouldn't have happened. Because the reason that that was happening is because he was partly in the Wraith world. Yes. So, anyway. But uh, maybe he was. Anyway, so <laughs> they they take off. Uh, they leave Bayorn after taking his ponies. And mm -hmm. then, uh, did Radagast happen upon them again? And that's why he went? Yeah, they found Radagast again, right? No. No, uh, right before they enter Mirkwood, Bayorn tells oh, uh, yes. Gandalf, like, hey, the storm is coming. From the old from the old fortress, Dogoldur, and so that's why Gandalf's like, okay, I need to go handle this. Uh, right. There's more pressing matters, so he leaves. Which is like what Alex said last time is like they give Gandalf a reason to leave rather than just being like this absent-minded professor that's just like, oh, whimsy, I'm gonna go now, and it's like, okay, like they, I do like the pressing issue of that of like yeah. giving him reason to leave, and that's when. Radagast jump scares us at the old uh, at the prison. Uh, That's right? what it was. Yeah, at Rudar, at the High Fells of Rudar, uh, which is like eh, okay, like again, this is just too much. It's like it's they're just trying too much to in this see movie. if the king actually yeah. escaped his tomb or yeah. whatever. So th yeah, this whole invention, I don't. It it just contradicts too much the established lore for me. Um, so like with this whole like side plot line of, um, Gandalf and the white council with Dol Guldur, they're doing a similar thing that like rings of power did where they're compressing a lot of events, um, together, um, in the timeline, because in, in, in the actual timeline, uh, Gandalf did leave to go deal with, um, the necromancer slash Sauron. They already knew he was Sauron, um, before this. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was all part of his plan, but he just went with, you know, the White Council. And so this whole, like, doing the reconnaissance and going there and checking it out, that ha that all happened, like, hundreds of years. I'm fine with that. But this extra piece of evidence to tie in the Nazgul, I don't understand. Because, number one, they're, they're making it so that the Nazgul were defeated and imprisoned, which makes no sense because they don't have, like, physical form you know <laughs> they're yeah. spirits they're like Is in that the what spirit that was? world i thought it was just 
Oh, they did they not have they didn't their physical bodies never died? That's so they faded. I what see. happened is they yeah. were given the rings of power and then eventually they completely faded into the Wraith world. Got and it. So that's why they wear the, you know, the black cloaks is because they have no bodies to, you know, inhabit. Got um, it. So this idea of them like defeating the Nazgul and the Witch King and then taking the Witch King imprisoned and and chaining him up in a tomb. It's like, no, he could have just like, <laughs> you know, when, so for example, when the Nazgul were um, defeated at the Fords of Bruinen, they just flew back to, um, uh, to Mordor in spirit form to like yeah. regain their strength. Uh, so it, it, it just makes no sense. It just makes zero sense. And what, you know, what's the point of this scene other than, oh, it's a Morgul, bl- like, I, just have him go. Have him go to Dol Guldur. We don't yeah, need this like extra I set. Ha- I literally have wrote it's it hat on hat on hats on hats. Like oh, it's just totally. just just go. It's yeah. like I'm along for this like Sauron prequel right now. Just go and it it's just I don't know. That's yeah. such a good point. Like, and it, I think it, that's where like the extended versions are just like they they add a lot of stuff in here too. And I can't remember what exactly what scenes they are, but it's just like they just. It's just stuff that they filmed, and they're like, "Okay, put it in there." Even though, like, scene like they there's scenes that literally clash with each other in these extended versions. That just like, why just don't do this? And like a good director or a good writer, the things that you say is like, "Kill your babies." Sometimes you're gonna have to be like, "God, I really love how this scene turned out," but it is not right. We don't need that. And and like to that example, uh, your earlier point, like Saruman is gone. No one cared when you watched it in the theater, like. Yeah, it makes sense. Like when you're watching it with a little bit renewed information, you're like, "Oh, it is weird that Sauron is just gone mm-hmm. and not in the third movie." But it actually didn't really matter because that really wasn't what the whole movie was about. Yeah. So knowing where to cut is important. And I, said, I will say, Christopher Lee cared very much when he I saw know yeah, Christopher Lee cared. We a know lot. that he cared. <laughs> uh, but I will say that I saw, you know, like it, you know. Once you speak something out loud, all of your for you pages are listening. All your devices are listening, so things right. will cater to you. Is that they were so rushed that they were writing scenes? Maybe it was just for Battle of the Five Armies, but they were writing scenes on the day of. They were filming stuff no. like basically with almost out scripts in this thing. Wow. So that's when I say like there's a lot of studio interference and stuff like that, where it's just like they were. I I don't want to relieve them of all their guilt of this or like responsibility of of these being a little bit of a mess but they were very highly pressured by the studio to get this trilogy out asap Mm -hmm. that that makes a lot of sense but also it's crazy to do something on this scale and just like fly by the seat of your pants especially when like and that's where you just see like studios just don't understand like executives like there's three years of pre-production of lord of the rings before they shot a single scene yeah. Three years of pre-production, building sets, storyboarding, building every piece of armor for every you know soldier on the battlefield, and then they're just like, oh yeah, we can just throw together like another massive trilogy epic. You know, we can just throw it together. It's like no, well, let's. This is what the, this is the, the executives do understand this because even though they didn't spend that amount of time, it still made a billion dollars. Yeah, like it doesn't matter because the bottom line still. They still made the money they're, back. They're just banking on the quality of the the previous installment and, it and, the, works. and the goodwill that they've uh, generated. 
and it yeah. worked. Like, it, so I guess that's just it. It's like, well, why put in the extra effort if you've already done that legwork? And I'm not, this is not me advocating for that. I'm just saying I could see why. But but imagine them putting in the same, maybe not three years of pre-production, but a year of pre-production. Like, just something where you're giving Peter Jackson, like, hey, we lost Guillermo del Toro. All right, let's let's just let's start from breath. square one again. Take a breath, and we'll do this right. And we'll make two movies. Imagine making two classic movies that people are still buying dwarf figurines. People are still buying Azog figurines. People are watching these every Christmas just like they were Lord of the Rings. It's another trilogy, two movies that are instant classics that everybody loves. And that, like, because the money is still coming in from Lord of the Rings. Money yeah. is still being printed from that movie when they can release an anniversary edition yes. every you know how many like years? no one's yeah. gonna no one and you're talking to me i i could have sworn i owned the extended editions on on blu-ray but i can't find them anywhere so maybe i don't and that says a lot when this guy middle earth nerd i'm wearing a toss me dwarf sweatshirt right now <laughs> is that what that is Amazing. it says toss me in dwarvish <laughs> Um, like when I don't own that. And so like just that thing, just Blu-ray sales, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I promise you they're a lot lower than just the extended version sales of Lord of the Rings when everyone's like, oh my God, I need to see more of this world. Right, I want right. to see every deleted scene. What happened to Sormen? I can't believe that. Oh, you get to see more of Boromir. I want to see that. Oh, elves walking by in the forest and Sam says, ooh, look at the elves. I want to see that. You like, do, yeah. you do. You do, and it's it, great. Everything works, but there's none of that love and care in these movies, and especially when you literally emotionally break uh, one of our best working directors to where he's only making documentaries now. Yeah. Um, it's really sad. And like, I, I wish, I wish we had those love and care. And it, the, the, yes, this movie made $960 million. Awesome. It would have and made it's being shown on HBO right now ad nauseum. So like, it, it's not, not being out. It's not, not out there to be fair. I'm just, I just yeah, just it's out there, but how many people are watching it? That's the thing. Right. I mean, I think there's people that aren't as discerning as us. I, you just have like, there has to be some people that are like, I like this. There has to be. There are fans, but I, yeah, I don't think are. it's as many as the the Jackson original. Trilogy. Yeah. Consider like it's lauded oh, as like the best trilogy of all time. Oh, yeah. I, I'm just yeah. being a, a devil's advocate here. Like, I'm sure there's people that like it. Stop and I can advocating for the devil, Jessica. I know, but someone's got to. talked gotta, about this. Someone's got to see if you guys are right with God or not. Um, I was talking <laughs> total segue or total uh, tangent, but uh, my mom was talking about Alex, and she's like, I love that he knows so much about the devil. Uh, no, hold on. I, said, I love that he knows so much about the Bible. And I said, oh, yeah, you do. He's like, but she said, you know who else knows a lot about the Bible? The devil. <laughs> I was like, all oh. right, mom. I know. <laughs> so your mom thinks I am the devil. Great. Which is awesome. Probably better because that you have nowhere to go up but up from that 100%. perspective. All right. So uh Mirkwood, right? We no well yes. no, technically are we in Dolgodor still? Are no, we we're still? back to we're back to Mirkwood. We're back to okay, the, the journey we, journey through Mirkwood. Bjorn now had... it's time for Mirkwood where I think not without even touching the water, Bomber falls asleep. Well, no, no, no. So, so yeah, Bjorn had told them, like, or Gandalf had told path. them, yeah, stay on the path. There's the last thing he says to him. Right. Uh, don't, and also, yeah, warn them about touching the uh, the water. Mm -hmm. 
So they have that whole sequence where they're crossing, and Bilbo's like, whoa, he looks in. Bomber falls asleep, and it's interesting what they end up doing here because in the book, they have... This whole Mirkwood sequence is basically they're just starving, right? They've run out of provisions. They're lost. It's dark. They're high. Um, not in the book. In the book, they don't have that that whole aspect. And it's the the impetus is to get food and find food and survive as they find their way through. And that's why you then have the you know in the encounters with the elves, which don't exist here. Um, so it's a really interesting act, to, uh, and I think the reason that they chose to to change it is because of the whole Dol Guldur influence being so prominently featured in this story, where now there's this dark power uh, uh, aspect that is more present in Mirkwood that's confusing them and making them kind of drunk and forgetful, and that's why they're lost, and that's why they're uh, sort of in peril, uh, which I think is an interesting uh, change to make. I think it... it- I think the theatrical version of this scene works really well where like the stuffiness and like just the claustrophobia of the forest, like it's filmed really well. But again, I go back to the extended version where it's just like, it's like 10 minutes of like yeah. leering close ups yeah. and like slowly, it's like, okay, I, no, I get it. I just like, this is where the theatrical cut is better where it's like, you get the point they're trying to make. And I like the buildup to the spiders. I think the spiders look really good. I think they're like gross and disgusting. And like, I like the fact that when Bilbo puts the ring on, like he can understand their dark speech. And I love it's that. Cool. It is cool. And like, this is where in the book, he wears the ring like a lot more. Like when we get to the, the yeah. Elvish kingdom, I think he wears it for like weeks trying to Just figure the whole out, you time. know, yeah. yeah, the whole time he's got it on, like trying to figure out like the, the delivery method and the wine barrels and stuff like that. That That is one of the things that I really don't like about this adaptation. Why? Is the ring. Oh. Because mm-hmm. of these ties to Lord of the Rings. At, like, we, we see this later in the second half we'll get to. But in this Mirkwood sequence, when, he, when they're fighting the spider, when he's fighting the spiders, and he, like, drops the ring, and then the, you have the, the baby spider. And he's like, oh, I have to defend the ring. And he, like, kills... Mm-hmm. in anger, in defense of the ring, this baby spider, and then, like, breaks down. He's like, what did I do? And then grabs the ring and goes. It completely goes against one of the things that is set up in Lord of the Rings for why Bilbo was able to resist the effects of the ring much more than anyone else is because he claimed the ring and in it had a moment of pity for Gollum and did not kill him. Mm. And so to... To then introduce an aspect where Bilbo kills over ownership of the ring is completely against his character, and it completely contradicts that aspect of the story, which I think is central in the resilience of Bilbo to the ring, the resilience of the hobbits. And it's just another needless, like, we get it. It's the one ring. Like, we don't need that scene. I don't know if that's an extended scene or not, but it completely... It completely did not need to be in there. They have another moment where it's like the power of the ring affecting Bilbo already um, in the Smaug sequence. Like, I I just feel like there's too much emphasis on 
Sauron's connection to the ring in this story, which is not important to this story. Like we, yeah. the Dolgoldur stuff is enough. We don't need to see like already the ring affecting Bilbo. It makes no sense. So yeah, it's literally been a day, and he's murdering things yeah. over it. Like he'd never last sixty years. Like right. yeah. he wouldn't. It, it, it just wouldn't. Like that. It's that's literally Gollum's tale within. Five minutes, Gollum, uh, Smeagol kills Deagle for the ring, and then that it corrupts him, like it, like just yeah. envelops him in that moment because that was his choice, and that's not Bilbo. Like that's the whole point of the Hobbits is that they're they can resist the ring because of like the goodness of them, and so yeah, it's and then especially just like just like before you stab a giant spider. Bilbo's got a lot of nerve to take off the ring yeah. and be like, I'm here. I'm sorry. That's still a 20-foot huge spider. Like, he probably would should have died right there. Like, I don't know. I, a really I, we, see a, we see a much cockier Bilbo earlier on in, in this version than yes. in, was in the books. Uh, yeah, just well, keep that ring on, dude. Like, come on. It is, it is Martin Freeman, and I think that's a big element as to why. But And part of me was going, well, okay, but... As a story, as from a story perspective, would we understand that it's going to take sixty years for this effect to take hold of Bilbo? But, but like, like, will we understand that? Is that why they're speeding it up? But it didn't take. It took a long time for it to affect Frodo. So it's not like, you know what I mean? It didn't. the The whole point is that it didn't really affect Bilbo much at all. Like we see it towards the end when he's, you know basically choosing to give up the ring to Frodo and he is resistant to it and gets snippy with Gandalf. Right. Um, but that's after, you know, decades and decades. So like it never affected him like that, you know, because and it's in also the because the ring he claims no. the ring, he chooses not to yeah. kill Gollum. And it's because the ring doesn't want to go to Gandalf and doesn't want to be destroyed. Like that's why it's like, oh. it's resisting that. Like it's, it's, it's like a year that Frodo has, like, it's in the book, it's like, you know, 20-something years, but he doesn't touch it, so it doesn't affect him. But then once they start their journey to Mordor, it's like, oh, I know what's going on. I don't want to be destroyed, so I'm going to start working overtime on this guy. And, and yeah, I like, see. so by the end, you know, like, that's why it works so well with just, like, the simple heartbeat sound when Frodo's hanging it over Mount Doom. It's like, nope, nope, nope. And it's just like that one last straw that breaks in Frodo. So even the most uncorruptible person gets corrupted. But yeah, uh, I, I like this scene. And then I, I know I'm in the minority, uh, but Legolas can do no wrong for me. And everything he does is really cool in my book, even when it's ridiculous. And, sure. and I mean, I'm sorry. If I was Orlando Bloom and Peter Jackson was like, hey, do you want to come back and be a badass again for two movies? I'd be like, yeah, let me let me do all the badass stuff. And yeah, I love it. So this I... is when when the elves, Toriel and Legolas come in to save. Yes, to save, save the dwarves. Save the Thorn and company from the spiders, yeah. And this is, uh, yeah, this is our first time seeing Legolas, and it won't be our last. It will not be. I, so here's, I'm just going to say it now, and this is going to color my entire feeling about, <laughs> about Legolas in this. Orlando Bloom did not age gracefully. He's no. way rough looking, and he, he is—he is—he's—he's he's like you—you you believe that is ten years in the future, not in the past. It's upsetting. He, he's like gruff. 
It's very he's, weird. He's not in a, I don't think it's a bad way, but like he looks stockier. Like his yeah. face is more full. Like he looks more, like this feels like it would be after Lord of the Rings where it's like, dude, I've seen the War of the Ring. This is post War of the Ring Legolas. And not in a bad way, just like I've seen some things. I've taken down an Oliphant single handedly. And I'm, you know, now, you know, 1,500 years old. Like, uh, 100%. Uh, yeah. We also, it won't be our last time talking about Toriel, but we have the new character of Toriel. I love her. Uh, I don't Evangeline love what they do Lily. with her. I don't love the love story, but I think um, she does a great job. I, I like the character of Toriel. I think she's a cool character. Uh, I think, um, God, I used to know all these actors' names. I can't think of it now. Um, uh, Evangeline Lilly. Evangeline, Evangeline yeah. Lilly. I think that's a good performance. Um, yes. I think she, it's a good performance. Does, I think she, she looks the best great as an elf. Given. Yes, she does. She is not working with much, uh, but she does what she has asked. And I, and when, I, when she showed up, I was like, I'm about, I'm about Toriel. She's cool. She's like, hot, too. She's like, Thank you. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. It's okay. Um, we can I objectify. Will... That was the whole point. She's that, so and, hot. And Keely doesn't like her because she's wonderful and like nice. He likes her because she's a hot elf. That's yes. it. So yep. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason. And he's lonely in that cell. Uh, yeah. Prejudice doesn't last when you find the, the hottie elf. He's like, oh, I hate elves. Oh, <laughs> mm, maybe I don't help, hate elves as much as I Ooh. thought. What's up, girl? Yeah. 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 Oh, you can and, change and me. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, She's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get down with this dwarf. <laughs> but yeah, like the, when they when they lock them up, it's like I could have anything down my trousers. Like those, like in the same from the first movie, like oh, it, it's a great sport if you got the balls for it. Those modern anachronisms just they they fall so flat in these movies, and I don't know how they snuck in there. If just like Biden says, like yeah, yeah, we'll film it, whatever. It's so bad. Like which, watching which... Lord of the Rings when everyone speaks so poetically and like. Of like this old English, and then in this, it's just like what it stands out so much. I I agree with you, and I don't know why. Like, I I think it's just the amount of them and the way they're presented and delivered. Because one of the most iconic lines that I think most, uh, I mean, you can Tolkien purists maybe disagree, but the meats back on the menu, boys line. I think most people enjoy that from the original trilogy, but that's a total anachronism, but it just works. Like in that yeah. moment, it works because the delivery, but when yeah, have you here... seen a menu? Of yeah, Gluck? exactly. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. Works don't have menus. When have right? you seen a menu? But it just, it just <laughs> works for whatever that. reason, for whatever reason. Yeah. I think I, it was so funny you bring that. Cause I just saw a TikTok of like, what's a corny line. And someone used that. I was like, that's, that's a good point. You're still wrong, but that's a good point. Cause that line rules. Cause he just yeah. chops someone's head off. It lands on Mary and Pippin and then just like, looks like meats back on the menu boys. And then they just tear this guy apart. Freaking awesome moment. Don't care if it makes sense whatsoever, yeah. but yeah. Like, I would be okay with this love story of Toriel and Killy if that's not how it started. Like, mm -hmm. that's not how you start a love story. It's like, oh, I could have anything down my trousers. And then she's like, well, he's... And this is, you know what, short kings out there, when she says, he's quite tall for a dwarf, that's... That's that's wrong. That's it is you wrong. know what? It is that's wrong. not cool, Toriel. Like, short kings matter too, okay? Well, and she only is trying to get... Legolas's 
scapegoat. That's why he's why she's saying it. Like, because I don't think ultimately that that matters to her, but she is mm. just saying it to get at Legolas, who also now is just a total f boy. Like, he's, yeah. he like totally sucks. Like, yeah. he's like, oh, you don't like me? Okay. Like, I don't. But also, we haven't seen him fall in love with a dwarf yet either. So, um. Ugh, it's all bad. It's all bad. He's basically you know, is sexually aggressing her. <laughs> he's like, but, hey, do you know who my dad is? <laughs> but I will say uh, that in the same breath, the Lee Pace uh, Thranduil oh and yeah. Thorin scene is awesome. Like yes. we said it last week, how striking Lee Pace is. And this is where we really get him in this uh, full tilt. And he is so good. Like there's yeah. just like like we said last week, just these actors that aren't given too much and they just go full bore with it. This is Lee Pace. Like, oh, I get to be an elvish king. I'm going to be the most elvish king you've ever seen. Like, oh, uh, you think Elrond is somebody? Watch. This is how you elf, baby. And that's <laughs> what he does. Like, Especially and out of nowhere, you don't know what this means when he like leans in and is like, don't think you're the only one to experience dragon fire. And like his face starts dissolving. It's they wild. They explain it. No. And it doesn't matter. It's cool. That, and that's I'm okay with that. I'm okay with things just being cool and mysterious. That's one of those moments. And, and that's what I like. I love that moment, even though like it is a little over the top, but I, I think it's great because it is the kind of magic that just makes sense in Tolkien's world where it mm. doesn't need to be explained. It's just like, yep, yeah, he can just like, I, I guess that's what his face actually looks like maybe, but he can hide it as opposed to some of the magic, like from Gandalf we'll see later on where it's like magic force field, like yeah. that cheesy, you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Um, so that this is a good uh, application of the kind of Tolkienian soft magic um, and it works perfectly in that scene because it's so menacing. It's so scary. You see why Thranduil has this kind of rage. And you, you get where he's coming from with his kind of isolationism and stuff. And I think that's what makes the character so great is even if you disagree with him, you get where he's coming from. You get why he is the way he is. Um, so, yeah. And Lee Pace just kills it. It, it is interesting because you can go one of two ways. And if you go, like, full bore and if you, like, really – push your acting to the wall. It can be a little too cheesy. And his ending line is like, a hundred years is a blink in the, of the eye. It's actually super cheesy and really made me cringe. But it's also super memorable, too. It works, man. It like work. he, he just works where, like, he is, like, is one of my favorite podcasts, Blank Check. He's like, he is swimming in the river of ham. But <laughs> you are loving it. In the same way, yeah. you know, and I, you know, we talked about Avatar last time. In the same way, Stephen Lang is just, in it welcome to pandora they will it will chew you up and spit you out that that is the same level where like and it's like this great sweeping shot a hundred years is but a blink of an eye to an elf yeah, yeah. lock you away and see if that loosens your tongue it's uh it's so cheesy it shouldn't it's work so but cheesy. it does he nails it so hard and and you compare that to um Look, I, I love uh, Hugo Weaving as an actor, and I think his performance as Elrond is good in the Jackson trilogy. It's not the Elrond that I kind of know from the books, but it's a good performance. But in, in this Hobbit trilogy, he is not 
even dipping his toe in the river of ham. He's mm. just like kind of playing it. He, he just showed up to work that day yeah. and was like, oh, okay, whatever. And so the stark contrast, as you said, between Elrond and Thranduil is, is it's night and day. And so it was good to see an elf that, yeah, we get that level from. Yeah, this uh, it's a, feels. It's the first time we've really seen it. Um, I guess maybe Gladriel, Cape uh, Blanchett is not in, in the trilogy, I think, hamming it up, but she's definitely committing. So other than that, I mean, it's the first time we've really seen that in these uh, film adaptations. Because, like, Gladriel's, like, this angelic goddess who is, like, all-knowing and, like, you know, very, like, forgiving and welcoming of everybody, no prejudice of anything. And, like, so this is, like, the first time we've seen, like, a mean elf. All yeah. Like, Elrond's very nice. Arwen's very nice. Legolas is very nice. Um, and so this is, like, the first time we've seen, he's like, cruel, a, like yeah. he's a cruel elf. And so, like, we're like, oh, Okay, this is different. And then he just like totally dives into it. And it's great. And we do need to see him be that because the, well, we don't need to see him be that, but these elves are uncharacteristically ruthless. And to the point where in the book, and it's to the point, to the point where it's hard for me to imagine Legolas coming from this group because he's so regal and he's so uh, stately and nice, mm-hmm. but they're insane. In yeah. this, in, like they get drunk, they're passing out, they're they're bacchanalia. It, so it does really work, and it it, it sells it better than they're the like Reagan doomsday bass. preppers. Oh yeah. snap! They are like they're just chilling in the forest, like they're not trying to bother with anything with the outside world. And I do like it's such a cruel line where. Like when uh, Fro- uh, Bilbo's sneaking around, and he's like, "Why don't you come out of the shadows?" And you think it's talking to him, but he's talking to Toriel, and she and he's like, "Oh, Legolas said you fought well today, and like he's very taken with you." And he's like, "Don't worry, I I know you'd never let him fall in love with a lowly Sylvan elf." He's like, "You're right, I wouldn't." And it's like, "Oh, it's gross." I got, we just met Toriel, and we already like like such a good way to get you on her side and get you off of Thranduil's side, just that simple conversation, just that one line. And it reminded me of like, cause people compare Dr. Strange to Tony Stark a lot, but like Tony Stark has always been like, Oh, like I'm, I'm quippy, but I'm fun. Like I'm like the life of the party. And I remember when like, after he gets injured, uh, Rachel McAdams, who I I'm just so in love with. I'll always love Rachel McAdams <laughs> forever. And she's like, Steven, you have a lot to live for. And he's like, oh, what, you? And I remember hearing the entire theater, like, gasp. And this is like at a Marvel movie, you know? No, like, I'm a a big Marvel fan. You don't go there for, like, relationship dialogue. You go for the big action scenes. But, like, everyone gasping it, like, oh, ow, that stung. And that's how this line felt. It's like, you're right. I wouldn't let my son marry a lowly Sylvan elf. It's like, oh, cool. Jeez. Yeah, and, it's and awful. I, it's awful. I enjoy that from the the lore perspective, and I think that's a good way to tie in the, uh, as opposed to the heavy-handed ways that they do in, in this trilogy sometimes, of like the fact that, yeah, it is a completely different like class of elves because Thranduil comes from the uh, uh, the Quenyan elves as mm-hmm. opposed to the Sylvan elves, so. It's completely different, and that's like Legolas is uh, uh, descended from him, so he's like a Quenyan elf, and so we get, and that's the same thing in Lothlorien, where Galadriel and Celeborn are like ruling over these Sylvan elves, which is they're, they're totally different, um, not totally, but pretty different. 
Well, it, and that is interesting. Like, it could have just as simply been, okay, well, Sylvan elves be ruling over Sylvan elves, but they made it, you know, comp- he made it complicated, which is interesting. So it yeah. has all these weird hierarchies. You, ugh, I, I, um, you're totally right, Ben, that there you can't not like Toriel. It's just what they do with her. It's just yeah. the storytelling that really makes it really rough. Um, and and then it, then the other thing that's difficult is that eventually it becomes an anti-vaxxer. And that's okay. But, <laughs> like, we're just different gonna, story, different story. Different story uh, for another day. She's supposed to be an amazing healer. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, well, you don't need any King's Foil. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> King's Foil's big pharma. Don't listen to them. Yeah, no, you're good. Uh, so then within a blink of an eye, Bilbo gets them into barrels this and out the, of there. That's the thing is that you have nothing but time here, and you don't show Bilbo doing any kind of Ocean's Eleven recon, figuring out the barrels and stuff like that. Like, there's nothing, and you you don't even show the elves getting drunk. Like, well, 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 Ben, they needed to save all that screen time for the amazing action sequence coming up. Hey, I'm <laughs> I'm not mad at the action sequence coming up, baby. Don't don't you get to my man Bomber gets his his moment in the sun, okay? Yes, he does. Uh, but just like just something simple of like him seeing. The, I I watched this a few weeks ago when we were supposed to originally record. So like, and maybe this has already like slipped my mind. But like, I don't remember him like scouting the wine room or like figuring out the pulley system. Maybe it's supposed to be a surprise of like trust me or something like that. But it's like just give me. One or two scenes. It doesn't have to be this like crazy reconnaissance full story arc, but like just a few of like, oh, that's how that works. Okay. Oh, the the guards. There's a party tonight. The guards are getting drunk. Okay. Now is yeah. our time to strike. They they do. I think the way that they do that is they don't show us Bilbo um, learning that stuff, but there is like the scene. I think it's with the Thranduil Toriel conversation where he talks about the the party. And so we see that through the Elvish perspective, and it's okay. just up to the viewer to connect those dots. So it's, and that's the nature of when you're injecting these other storylines into the story is you have to take away things from our main character. Yeah. Um, who do the you? Because because we haven't dealt with the Hobbit at all in this book, hardly. Right. Or in this yeah. Movie. What, like there, Bilbo has. I mean, he he gets the cool moments with the spiders and and in Mirkwood, but yeah, it. Post uh, them leaving uh, uh, the Elven Kingdom, like uh, Bilbo gets kind of sidelined uh, in the back half of this movie, but we'll get there. Um, so yeah, we we basically are just left to assume that oh yeah, it's because of this party, and we don't get to see Bilbo finding that stuff out. We just hear about it from the elves because we need to give them something to talk about that relates to the the, the main thrust of the plot. Um, <laughs> but also what. We've seen canonically in these movies, Legolas can drink anyone under the table. Right. Literally, Gimli falls under the table and he's like, oh, I feel a little <laughs> bit on my fingertips. And like just demolishing. Never, never party with Legolas. Never play. No. What are they drinking? So what are the elves drinking? This is my big problem with it, too. And I know what Alex is going to say. And I freaking hate it. I have thoughts. Hold the phone. It's It's awful because... They should be able to handle it, and they don't because it's a special wine for this special event. No, it's not. Here, here's what it is. It's and for you, loco, baby. You, ju- <laughs> you, <laughs> you just mentioned it. 
So we have this hierarchical structure in elven society where Thranduil and Legolas and the ruling class are these Quenyan elves who have been touched by the light of the two trees, right? Meaning they're okay. more powerful, they're stronger, they're closer to that That's not how Tolkien ideal. wrote it. Yes, it is. That's literally what it is. That's what he says? Yes. Because these stupid Sylvan elves don't have tolerance? The Sylvan elves have never seen the light of the two trees. Therefore, they are lesser in in physical wow. prowess, in switch. knowledge and skills. Oh, that's just how it is. So these <laughs> subordinate, you know, elves that are just working this job, like, you know, at the place where the barrels come in, they're going to be sylvan elves. So they don't have the same fortitude and tolerance to alcohol that we see Quenyan elves have. We haven't seen, you know, Legolas is a Quenyan elf, so, um, or descendant from them. So uh, that's where I believe the explanation lies, is that, they actually probably could more easily get drunk because they're not of the same ilk. Alex, uh, make sure you don't pull a hamstring next time you stretch that hard, okay there, buddy? <laughs> Look, somebody's got to defend this movie, okay? No, do I, we, I trust you? me. The next, the next scene, I will defend with my life because I, yeah. besides the two randomly pra- placed GoPro shots, which like so weird, not a place. So weird, so weird. Place. Even in the theater, I was like. Was that a GoPro? Like, yeah. so strange. Other than that, I'm about this scene because I, like, I mean, besides the five minutes of killing spiders, like, it's been a little bit of a slow movie. So I'm okay with this, like, daring escape, you know, and orcs, like, coming in and craziness. Like, I'm about it. But yeah, I, it's just like, but you don't even show the elves getting drunk. They're just like, you just see them, like, kind of pass down, like, what? Yeah. Where are my key? And I was like, oh, this is even in the extended version. I was like, oh, I thought they would show this more or something like or show the party upstairs or something like that. But they they really don't. Yeah, I again, the reason I don't like the barrel sequence as fun as it is. And like in the theater, it was fun seeing it in 3D is again. It just takes away coolness from Bilbo. Like the reason that they escape is because of the aid of the elves and killing these orcs. As opposed to like, oh, that was like an ingenious thing of Bilbo and seeing Bilbo, you know, ride the barrels and stuff. Yeah. Um, it just takes away coolness from a main character and puts it into like, oh, you know, Legolas like doing a pirouette on the tops of like dwarf love heads, oh, which so I know st- it's so cool. Stupid. I love it, I love it so <laughs> much. Yeah. Can we talk about um, Bomber, his moment? Where he just goes full superhero mode. And he like, goes full like Sonic the Hedgehog with like, yeah. I don't know. Okay, one, there's two fallacies. One, where do you get the swords that he like just pops out with? Right. Like, and then two, after he's done being a little, you know, poof ball of death, which I'm about, why is there just an extra barrel that he like hops back into? Like, where exactly. did he get the extra barrel? He's just like an extra barrel. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. But I, I do love it. Um, I think there's some really cool stuff here. But also, like, when you see like elves like dying to these orcs, and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, yeah. is Legolas like that much more powerful than all of these like other elves? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I think that is a, a symptom of, of kind of the the Lord of the Rings thing where we just see Legolas being such a badass and he's the only elf we really see being a badass besides in like the last Alliance sequences and Helm's Deep, which the elves are at in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, elves are not all like super powered, you know, they're great at fighting and they're probably some of the best fighters because they just have hundreds and hundreds of years to train and become uh, perfection 
uh, of anything they want to really. Um, but like orcs are deadly and orcs are, you know, nasty. Um, so it's, it's, I think I'm, I'm okay with seeing like some elves get, get taken out. Otherwise it would be just like, Oh, orcs aren't a threat, but we know that they are. So, yeah. Yeah. It's um, always like the numbers of orcs that like have been like their threat thing, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I like this scene. I think it's a lot of fun and I think, and, but that's the thing is that the, the first movie does take itself very seriously. And this movie wants more of these lighthearted adventurous moments. And this is one of them. And that's where like these, these, tonal clashes come in where it's like you want the fun from the hobbit book but you want the self-seriousness of the lord of the rings trilogy and they don't mesh very well but um i like this scene i think it's a lot of fun uh i think you know them like tossing the axe back and forth to each other is great you get like the chemistry of the dwarves and everything and i like that thorin saves legolas life he saves his life that yes. orc is about to get him in the back and he throws that sword and we get a call back later for that. And so I think that's a good little Thorn redemption moment where he just got imprisoned by these elves. Right. But he knows like he has a prejudice against them, but he knows that they are good beings and like he doesn't want them to die. They're he not just doesn't orcs. like them. Yeah, they're not orcs. And so like he sacrifices like that's a big thing. Like he they don't that's the whole half of this movie is like they don't have weapons after this so he sacrifices his only weapon Mm. and makes like their entire company basically defenseless after this by doing that so i think that's a pretty underrated moment is that like him saving legolas's life with a hell of a a axe throw and this is probably the last uh for for this film this is the last like good moment we'll see thor have Yes. He gets yeah, a little he, bit downhill for really, here. Yeah, he really sucks. The, he, the closer he, he gets the to Erebor. Oh, he's yeah. the really worst. Uh, he's and the then worst. we we see uh, throughout this sequence as well, uh, Toriel just uh, being completely enamored with Keeley, and he gets shot with that Morgul shaft we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and He gets wh- the shaft? He completely gets the shaft. He does get the shaft. He doesn't even get to go to Erebor later. It's shaft, so shaft. Oh, oh no! Flash. Sorry, <laughs> I, it is, but it made me think of that too. That's really funny. Uh, and and we get a we get kind of a double thing where Toriel gets distracted and then Legolas saves her, right? And then like at the end when they you know the the dwarves escape, uh, Toriel saves Legolas, and then we get that whole sequence with the aforementioned orc uh, being taken in and questioned. Uh, by Thranduil uh, and just more amazing acting by Lee Pace and, yes. and this orc and we get more hints of like oh Sauron is coming and he's gonna he's gonna kill you all the lands will be covered in darkness we'll have many of these peppered uh, throughout here and then we get the amazing line uh, you said you would free him and he says I did I freed him of his head yeah it <laughs> which is so just, good he just works so well and but I do love the fact that like you can I like the chemistry that Orlando Bloom and Lee Pace have because like just right when he cuts his head, I was like, and he just got it. He's like, why would you do that? He says it so <laughs> casually like, yeah, Orlando Bloom is not his beautiful young self anymore. But I think his acting is still. Oh, when you put Orlando Bloom in the right thing, he's good. Will he's Turner, royal, uh, he's good. Yeah. Legolas, he's good. And so like 
when you put him in the right thing, he works really well. And he works really well as Legolas. And so when he's just like holding the orchid, he's like, why would you do that? He was. <laughs> yeah, just nonchalantly. Just so nonchalant. It works so well. And I, but like also, like, I just Toriel, he's like, you like killing orcs. And it's just like, that whole scene is so it's melodramatic. It's so, it's so much. But Lee Pace uh, really makes it work. And I, well, I love him for it. So I, I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, we kind of lightly skipped over because it's really not that important. But the I think is it is it Bulg who's like, oh, we can't go in there because that's where all the the elves are. But then they still decide to storm the. Yeah, they like go around and they're like they're right there on the border where it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, was... it's like a really weird reason to like oh well we can't do this in the story yet so we're just gonna stop but yeah. then we'll yeah. come back and do this because it, it where the barrels come out is like yeah right there it's not probably a separate part from the elven kingdom so yeah it's like eh. but they needed to be there for this so yeah whatever i don't know yeah. it was it was strange but i do like going back that that orc is just everybody in that scene is just killing it just soap opera and i love it he's mm-hmm. so good he's like this is my moment i'm gonna take it and even if i'm unrecognizable people are gonna remember me because i feel like he is like the one orc that's like in makeup and right. it, it works that has it, lines yeah. yeah that has lines and it's so good he looks great he looks demented and it's awesome yeah um so then we have them finally uh getting out of the barrels, mm-hmm. uh, and meeting our Out friend. of the barrels into the bard? Nice. There nice. you go. Tolkien should have went with that. Yep. Uh, they meet our boy Bard, the bargeman, uh, and interesting take on Bard here. Uh, we'll get much more into him in our next episode. Ooh, okay. prominently uh, into featured. Him? I mean, I wish. Are you? Do we have a? Do we have a you, line to you, Luke Evans? Can we please? Yeah. We actually might. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll see. I think There's Luke Evans is another guy happens. that is extremely underrated as an actor. Right. I, well, he doesn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Luke Evans doesn't think so. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What was that well, about getting tell him? I think he's great too because yeah, he, great. I think he's great in this. I think he's the perfect Gaston. Like I Oh, is he I, Gaston? Yeah, and then the, in the live action that. Beauty and the Beast. That's he was great. awesome. He That's worked great. really well. And then I think even in a like movies like Dracula Untold, like there's moments I'm like, oh wow, he's going for it. And I respect oh, him. Oh, sure. And I I love that. I love him in this part. And I this is another Ken Stott moment where like you thank God for Balin when he's like, Oh, I bet you've got like a lovely wife at home. And he's like, I did. And like Balin's acting right there is like, I'm so sorry. And yeah. it's like it's so great. And meanwhile, Dwalin's like, Oh, can we hurry up with the niceties? I'm like, oh. Shut up, dude. Like, like you are not getting out of this. He will wipe you out 1v13 right now if he wanted to. <laughs> and no wonder yeah. people hate dwarves because of the, the way that they're ha- they're acting. Right? Like I'm not advocating for racism. I'm just saying they're not good house guests. Yeah, at it, least like I'd hate Dwalin, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I just, and I, that that's one of the things I think yeah, Dwalin or excuse me, Balad is like probably my favorite of the dwarves and yes. it's because they they portray him as like he's the oldest He's the wisest. He's 
of good warrior and he's seen his fair share of battle, but he understands he has more empathy than all of the other dwarves. And I think that's why like they sort of play up his relationship with Bilbo in this adaptation, which I enjoyed because in the book, um, he was it's just insinuated. Bal- yes. But Balin was just the lookout and like, you know, but he was the one that Bilbo connected with most in the book. Mm-hmm. They, they play that up to the 10th degree, um, which I, I, I think really works here. Uh, and yeah, uh, Ken Stott is just such a, a, a great actor. So he's able to uh, pull that off. Very, well, very good. Well, we get, we, we, we get Bard reluctantly agreeing to deliver them to, uh, to Lake Town. We, we see him have cook up a smart idea with barrels. Yeah. So, right? A lot of well, barrel work here. But before that, okay. We have the whole uh I I love the scene where they're they got to pay him and I think it's uh Glowin who's like refusing to give up his coin and then we get the moment where they're they're sailing through the mist and this sort of ice floating uh on the lake uh and as the they they pass through and the mist clears they see uh, not for the first time, but up close for the first time, the Lonely Mountain. And we get that amazing shot, which is one of many of those kinds of panning, like everybody coming into frame shots. Yeah. And he's like, take my money, take my money. And then it cuts to Martin Freeman, like who it's implied like he was the one who didn't uh, uh, <laughs> put his coins in. But Glowin's like, take all my money. I don't care. Love um, it. So uh, that's before we get the whole uh, barrel part two sequence Fair. yeah and thorn being like oh he's gonna kill us on these waters like shut stop talking just yeah. shut up for a second it's you embarrassing know, like bilbo's sneaking you out of prison he's like what are you doing are you mad shut up you guys are all in jail and you're not in jail even if you get recaptured at least he's trying something just shut up for a second god he's a, he, he's a control freak he is like it's just like, man, just like trust somebody. Like, oh my gosh, it's like the frustrating moments. Like, I know that Dora's supposed to be like hard headed and stuff like that, but like sometimes they overdo it a few times in these movies where you genuinely don't want these guys to succeed. Like, you're just like, you know what? Stay a hundred years in the Elvish prison. I don't <laughs> care as long as Bilbo gets out. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Is that where we're ending today? Is uh, right before uh, the worst character in movie history shows I up? I think. I think. Yeah, we'll save. We'll save. Worst the, character. We'll save that. The introduction of that unibrowed man for for next. Is week. he really the worst character? Yes. Yes. Oh, it sounds like Ben has a lot. Of I have so much to talk about with <laughs> when it comes to that man that will not be named till till next week. All right. I think that that is a good cliffhanger. Unlike my opinion of the cliffhanger of this movie. For us to leave <laughs> until we rejoin this conversation next week. It's, as always, gentlemen, my pleasure to speak to you about such things, including so Lord of the Rings. Um, ben, is there anything you're working on right now that you want people to know about? Or what's like a Patreon thing that you're up to? Yeah, I just revamped my Patreon, guys. It's uh, The starting level is uh, five bucks, and you get uh, movie reviews, trailer reactions, uh, a weekly Sunday show where I talk about pop culture and all that good stuff. So join over at the Patreon, patreon.com slash the Ben Goddard. So good. I am at um, 
coffee. I'm selling seats to a TTRPG two-shot that I think there's either at this point two or three seats available, and we're going to get started with session zero on January 16th. Um, it's, so it's going to be three Mondays, technically. And we're going to make sure the time works for everybody. It's going to be a fun... It's not D&D, but it will be fun. But if you want to give that um, a check out, the, the the link will be in the liner notes, but it's um, Jessica Lynn Verdi's coffee page, K-O-F-I. Um, Alexander, what are you doing? Uh, well, you can find me over on twitch.tv slash solkatu, S-O-L-K-A-T-T-U. I'm usually playing i don't know magic the gathering or minecraft sometimes i'm reading lord of the rings and talking about lord of the rings over there so oh i want to go on that yeah make sure you I tune in do there that. i want to i want to <laughs> go to there as uh tina fey would say on 30 rock <laughs> i want to go to there that is that what it's from everyone says that now wow yeah. it's incredible she changed she changed our our dialogue <laughs> 30 rock is still hilarious like yeah. and i and i do love that like her and alec baldwin are still like really best friends like i just love that and honestly it was so cool that she knew that tracy morgan was brilliant and that he was underutilized in general she went nope this guy is great and Mm -hmm. needs to be used and um and it it worked out for the best i think that's donald glover's first appearance is he in that wow he's just like uh (laughs) it's it's a great great joke make sure everyone looks up donald glover 30 rock because it's like just a cutaway joke and it works so perfectly oh i can't wait we'll have to look yeah. it up um that's great alex where are the different ways people can what are the different ways people can interact with our podcast here well they can uh follow us on twitter at pod of the rings they can go and check out our instagram at instagram at p-o-t-r pod uh, if you'd like to support the show financially and uh, pledge at one of a few different tiers and get some cool benefits uh, you can go to patreon.com slash pot of the rings or you can just check us out on our website podcastoftherings.com get links to all that stuff right there make That's... sure you do it guys because I am not cheap I'm like Tobin Maguire in Spider-Man <laughs> 2 for every movie I'm, I'm asking more money I'm talking about how my bad my back hurts it's it's a whole process they almost replaced me with jake gyllenhaal it's a whole thing (laughs) you know what though that would have been that would if we can find a better replacement for you like jake gyllenhaal we'll let you know but honestly at this point we're just i think what's gonna happen is that you're gonna be our third co-host but i didn't you didn't i didn't say that oh i'll contact my agent and get that and get those uh renegotiations (laughs) yeah we'll see what happens we'll do lunch we'll do lunch (laughs) we still have three episodes to make a decision exactly we'll do do yeah. Nope, no people pressure, Ben. Your people. Yeah. You're not <laughs> you're not gonna play uh con, but you're gonna play con. Uh yeah. all right, folks, until next week. Wait. So long and farewell. What do we say, Alex? So long, farewell. <laughs> so, wait, are we the Von Trap children? <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh how do we say goodbye? I don't remember. It's a well, dangerous business going at your door. And uh, until then. Mayor Roads meet again. There we go. I like that. That's good. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.